Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family as we continue our study of St. John Paul II's The Role of the Christian Family in the Modern World. We're right at the 40th anniversary of this very important apostolic exhortation. And as I shared with you in one of our first episodes on the role of the Christian family in the modern world, this has not gone out of date. In fact, it's more relevant today than it was when it was initially written. And today we're going to look at something very interesting. We're going to look at the root problem. You might call it that underlying cancer that's weakening and destroying marriages and family life in the modern world. And I'll just tell you what it is right off the bat. It's the problem of self, the deeply rooted problem of self. You might say, well, you know, this doesn't affect me. Hang on. It affects all of us living in the modern world. This is from section six of the role of the Christian family in the modern world. You know, I must ask the question, have you ever taken 120 seconds to discover what's at the root and foundation of what's gone wrong with marriage and family life? Maybe the marriage and family life of your friends, uh, family members. Uh, this is worth pondering. John Paul II starts out with saying there are signs not lacking of a disturbing uh, aspect of fundamental values. There's serious misconceptions regarding the relationship and authority between parents and children, the concrete difficulties that the family itself experiences in the transmission of values. In other words, you raise your kids in Catholic schools, you have them catechized, you try to have a uh, authentic Christian atmosphere in your home, and boom, late teens, or they go off to college, and they fall away from the faith. That's part of what's going on. He talks about the growing number of divorces, the scourge of, the, of abortion, and the ever more frequent recourse to sterilization, and the appearance of a truly contraceptive mentality. Then he goes on in the second paragraph of section six, and this is where we're going to put our focus today. At the root of these negative phenomena, there frequently lies a corruption of the idea and the experience of freedom, conceived not as a capacity for realizing the truth of God's plan for marriage and family, but as an autonomous power of self-affirmation for one's own selfish well-being. And here it is, the root of corruption in marriage and family life in the modern world. And there's two things we're going to focus on. First, selfishness, and then second, autonomy. Now, these are related subjects. We're going to start with selfishness just to try to trace its influence in our modern life. And autonomy is not unrelated to selfishness. Autonomy is just selfishness on steroids. It's the 
ultimate idolatrous form of selfishness. And we'll talk more about it when we get to autonomy. But let's talk about the self in the modern world. I forgot the exact number, but we are bombarded every day, every week, every year with hundreds, if not thousands, of advertisements. And the goal of the advertisements is very often to bring pleasure and satisfaction and fulfillment to the self. And what's that favorite advertising phrase that we hear so much about? It's all about you. It is all about you. And you start to think that, well, I'm really the center of everything. And all these goods and all these services are to please my ego. And then there's the social media, which basically didn't exist till, what, 15 years ago or so. One military officer called social media, and hold on, he called it institutionalized narcissism, institutionalized narcissism. And what do we do with our social media? Well, we take selfies, uh, a new word that's been added to our dictionaries, selfies and social media. And what is social media? Uh, Again, I mean, it's nice to check up on things and see how your friends are doing and such, but the narcissism promoting selfishness Autonomy, self-attention, self-seeking, self-promotion, self-admiration. We have to be careful that we're not just using a tool, but the tool is abusing us. Notice some of these taglines for the things we use in social media and social media itself. Do you know the tagline for YouTube? Broadcast yourself or Twitter? What are you doing? Or the stuff we use all the time called iPad or iPhone. Do you see what's happening? These powerful new technologies help build an orbit of the self where we began broadcasting ourselves. This was back in 2006, but it's something worth paying attention to. You know, Time Magazine every year has the person of the year. And in 2006, you might remember it, uh, the person of the year was you. And it had a picture of a mirror on the cover of Time Magazine for the person of the year. Again, focusing on self. One of the premier books on psychology that I have ever encountered was written by Dr. Paul Vitz, a very faithful Catholic psychologist, and his book is entitled Psychology as Religion, subtitled The Worship of Self. And Dr. Vitz gets a just a bombshell of a critique of so much secular, modern psychology, it's really trying to pacify, bolster, or heal, or promote the self. And this was a few years back when Dr. Vitz was speaking at one of our fatherhood conferences. But he told me at that time, he had never been invited into a Catholic 
psychology college classroom. And that he'd only been in one once, and that was because a bunch of evangelical Protestants had paid for his travel and wherewithal so that he could go and basically evangelize a Catholic psychology class with genuine Catholic psychology. Psychology, in many ways, is the worship of self, and it can be extremely dangerous. You go on and you think, well, what does all this have to do with marriage and family life? And here's a paragraph from a book that Jim Burnham and I wrote for Catholic Dads. It's the marriage chapter. This applies to husbands and wives, believe me. And we tried to describe, without a lot of philosophical jargon, exactly what it is, what sin does to the human heart, and as a result, what that does to marriage and family life. This is from Christian Fatherhood, chapter 5, again, the marriage chapter. And the chapter begins with a big, sin is spelled S-I-N, and we had the, the printer create a huge I when we wrote the word sin. And you might think, well, sin, that's something we talk about in church, but that doesn't have anything to do with my marriage, does it? And to visualize what sin does to marriage, imagine the word sin with a tiny S, a tiny N, and a huge inflated I in the middle. If you want to know what sin does to the human heart, that's it. S, tiny s, huge, inflated I, tiny n. Sin makes selfish ego maniacs out of otherwise nice, ordinary people. Now, if a person is apart from a deeming work of Christ, and we have to grow in Christ, have to grow in Christ's likeness, if not, sin allows two centers of the universe to attempt to inhabit a three-bedroom, two-bath home. And I'm sorry, even if you own Bill Gates' multi-million dollar mansion, that mansion is not big enough to maintain two centers of the universe. And you are going to have intergalactic conflict in marriage when you have the self as the center of things. The opposite of sinful selfishness, Christians call love or charity, and it's the dead opposite of selfishness. It's self-giving on behalf of others rather than pleasing oneself. And this is the ingredient. It's an essential ingredient for a happy marriage. Now, there's, there's a lesson here. In neon letters, really, in the early chapters of the Bible, okay, in the first part of Genesis chapter 3, we barely get things rolling, and we have original sin. And then God comes on the scene and says, what's up? Did you eat that fruit from the tree that I told you not to eat of? And what does Adam do? He blames his wife for what he did. And then he blames God 
for giving him Eve. It says, the woman that you gave me, she made me eat. And so he totally blame shifts. And you have the first marital squabble in human history as the first occurrence immediately after the fall into sin. Now, you don't have to go very much further because you simply turn the page to Genesis 4. What happens in family life? Well, as a result of that selfishness in Genesis 3 from sin, it impacts family life when we see Cain killing his brother Abel. You have fratricide immediately following. We're not supposed to be dull to these things. So if you want to know where marriage problems come from and family problems come from, you just look at these two chapters. And if you want to go a little further in chapter four, you have Lamech who had two wives and he started polygamy. All this in less than two chapters of the Bible to show us Yes, there's a real consequence when sin dwells at the centers of our lives, okay? Now, let's talk about autonomy. And remember, when I'm talking about autonomy, I'm not changing the subject. I'm going for a deep dive because autonomy is is the worst form, the very worst form of selfishness. And remember, St. John Paul II said, at the root of all the problems in marriage and family life, there lies this autonomous power of self-affirmation. Now, if you break the word autonomy down, it's two Greek words, auto, which means self, like an automatic or whatever, it's self-driving, and then nomos, which is the word for law. So autonomous means self-law. In other words, morality, the determination of right and wrong, is determined by self. And this is the root of the selfishness that impacts marriage and family life. And again, going back to beginning, because even before Adam starts blame-shifting even God for his own selfish act. This is what we read. In Genesis 3 and verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, you will not die if you take of the fruit. For God knows then that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This is what turned human beings from loving creatures. It turned them inside out, becoming selfish egotists. There was a real truth to the temptation given by Satan, because we read just a couple of verses later in verse 7 of Genesis 3, It says, then the eyes of both were opened and that they knew they were naked. In other words, there was a fundamental and radical change to human perception. You might even call this your worldview. There's there's something about the way human beings would look at truth and morality and the world that got inverted when they took of the fruit. 
and there is a fundamental, a radical change. And at the heart of it, the corruption from sin was who makes the ultimate determination of right and wrong? Well, God's the one that sets that up, right? Well, yes, but what happens is that it shifted. The eyes were opened, and they became like God. In other words, they assumed God's place unlawfully. And instead of God determining right and wrong, it was me, my opinion, my will. And this is the ultimate form of idolatry. And if you want to know what idolatry is, you just do the I like you do with sin. Spell idolatry, but that first letter, make it a huge bloated I. That's the essence of idolatry. That's the essence of having your eyes opened, knowing good and evil. It's putting yourself in the place of God. Now, you say, well, what does all this do with me? Well, don't think you've escaped this. This is such a subtle change. Actually, this has actually been building for centuries. You might call the modern world the de-evolved world because it's moved more and more from a theocentric or a God-centered worldview amongst the, the Christian population to gradually and subtly and continually me-centered, I-centered. And this is what St. John Paul II is calling the root of what has gone wrong in people that is causing all the evidence of marriage and family problems. There is a book that, it's a wonderful book, and listen carefully to what I'm about to say. It's a book entitled Sign of Contradiction. It was written by St. John Paul II before he became John Paul II, before he uh, became Pope. It was while he was a bishop. He was giving Advent homilies to the papal household, including Pope Paul himself. And I find it very interesting. This, this initial broadcast is going out during Advent. And uh, by the way, if you want the book, it's only in used copies. You can get a paperback copy for $753 on Amazon today. Or you can listen real carefully to what I'm about to say. The perspectives in the third chapter of Genesis, which are now becoming more understandable, not so much in their original expression as in the light of the signs of our times. In other words, he's saying what went on in Genesis 3, which we've already talked about, historically was like an acorn that now in the modern world has grown into an oak tree. And this is the fundamental cause of interpersonal disputes, family disputes, and marital troubles. Okay? He goes on. When the devil says in the third chapter of Genesis, your eyes would open and you would become like God, these words express the full range of temptation of mankind. This is the ultimate temptation to the extreme form it takes today. See, Genesis 3 is in history. Genesis 3 has expanded. It's exploded. 
It's on our media. It's on our social media. It's on our daily lives. It's in our expressions. The first stage of temptation had not been fully formulated, but the time has now come. This aspect of the devil's temptation has found the historical context that suits it. In other words, that selfishness, when Adam and Eve's eyes were opened and they became like little gods, determining right and wrong from their own judgment. And you know, they might have even reached the same moral decision, but they were going about it in the wrong way. It's not up to men and women to determine right and wrong, ultimate right and wrong, like who lives and who dies. So he goes on. We may now be wondering if this is the last lap. This is Advent. And in Advent, we're supposed to wake up. And particularly, using the role of Christian family in a modern world in some, I'll, I'll just say it, foolish people are saying it's outdated. No, he was ahead of his times, and that's why, <laughs> that's why we're doing this series. He says, we could be wondering if this is the last lap. In other words, what went on in Genesis 3 is going to become the ultimate temptation for mankind at the end of time. So he goes on. That way of denial which started from around the tree of the knowledge of good and evil to us, who know the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. No stretch of that route can come as a surprise. This has been the problem for the human race for all of history. We accept with trepidation, but also with trust, the inspired words of the Apostle Paul, quoting 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3, which has been zipped from the lectionary in the United States. St. Paul says, let no one deceive you in any way, because first it is necessary for the rebellion to come and for the man of sin, the son of perdition, to reveal himself. What is the rebellion? The rebellion is turning morality over to self, away from God. And we can make our big pronouncements, whether it be in Supreme Court, who are wrestling with the question of whether or not to slaughter babies in the womb. It's not for them to decide. Now, don't get me wrong. I hope they come out in the right side of this Mississippi case. But the very fact that we're wrestling with the question describes how deep into the pit we have fallen. Yes, it looks like the last lap when you have to go to the highest court of the land and try to figure this one out. And we do it in our own individual sense. I'm not just picking on the Supreme Court. We need to look inside of ourselves. And it says before the Antichrist comes, because it says the man of sin comes after the rebellion. Well, the rebellion, the last lap, that, that fulfillment of Genesis 3 prepares the way for the Antichrist, and God says he will send a strong delusion. And you might say, well, hey, <laughs> it's not going to be hard to figure out who the Antichrist is. 
because it says in that same chapter, 2 Thessalonians 2, that he's going to exalt himself and proclaim that he's God. Who's going to fall for that? The modern world. The modern world who has switched the determination of morality from God to me, or groups of me, or a nation of me. And when that switch has been made, basically, whoever falls into that trap is playing God. And the Antichrist is just going to lead the world into a self-conscious rebellion against God and overturn all morality. And unless there's a return to a deep Christian discipleship and revival and reformation and any kind of renewal you can think of, it is going to get infinitely worse. Everything is going to be turned upside down. So what do we do? We have to be cautious. Luke 21 says, watch and pray. Why? Because you're going to be deceived if you don't watch and pray. In other words, if you don't take active steps. I'm thinking of... um, PBS, safe place to turn your TV to, right? Uh, Wonderful place, receives millions of federal dollars. Dr. Wayne Dyer, the PBS self-help guru, um, was asked, what's the biggest thing people need to learn? Hmm, boy, that's a tough question. His answer, they need to know that they are God. This is your PBS guru. If you're playing cafeteria Catholicism, and what's that? You're going down the line, and makes it's kind of like all the cafeteria offerings are the different moral choices. You either say, I'm going to take a tray, and on that tray, I'm going to place catechism of the Catholic Church and accept all that the church teaches, or I'm going to go down the line according to me and pick and choose. If you were doing that, you are in the ultimate depth of deception. This is selfism to the max. This is autonomy, and it will impact not only your life, but your marriage life and your family life. On the positive side of it, what happens if you are renewing your mind, as the Bible says to do, and you're more conformed to God, becoming more theocentric? Well, the closer you grow to him and likeness of him and accepting his revelation— the closer you grow as a married couple and as a family. So we want to draw closer to God this Advent, watch and pray, and let God make the big moral decisions. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 366 of Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org.